What's up? This is Mike Fenoya from Amigos, and Amigos Podcast is in the loop, the legion of Osiris Podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with podcasts and live experiences about artists and topics you love. Check out OsirisPod.com and stay in the loop. That's Ty Seagull with uh, the song Feel. That song's been in my head. I love it. Um, Ty Seagull's dope. It reminds me of uh, early Beck meets Sid Barrett 
meets Joe Walsh. Uh, it's Mike Fenoya. It's Amigos. How you doing? Welcome back. Um, thank you for tuning in. And uh, it's been a couple weeks, but uh, I've been busy, and I didn't want to rush through some bullshit. And every now and then, you know, you got to put something aside. And unfortunately, guys, um, this was the thing that had to be put aside for the moment. But I'm back. I'm in between trips. Um, I've had a couple of incredible experiences, and I want to share them with you before I get on a plane and head to Denver. So if you're hearing this, I'm going to be at uh, in Denver, Colorado all this week and weekend doing some shows, um, a couple bar shows here and there throughout the week, uh, independent shows put on by Denver's got a dope stand-up community. Um, so I'm going to be doing a bunch of shows there. And then on Monday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, I'll be headlining the Comedy Works in Denver, two shows at the Landmark and one show downtown, and I think I'm doing Sunday Landmark, Monday Downtown, Tuesday Landmark, so go to ComedyWorks.com and check out tickets. Uh, so much cool shit going on with the Osiris Network. Uh, we got the drop happening every week with Music News, um, a bunch of amazing podcasts, a couple new podcasts, so head over to Osiris uh, Pod on social media. And follow at Mike Fenoya at AmigosPod, MikeFenoya.com for dates. And head over to the Amigos Podcast discussion group on um, Facebook, and we'll chat there. Um, Man, I don't even know where to begin. I I have so much to to talk to you guys about. Um, I I went to... Well, let's do this. I, I I went on tour with the Impractical Jokers, and I didn't have a chance to really record too much of what was going on on tour because it was just pretty rock and roll. I mean, like we, we were, I flew into Nashville. We did a show in Nashville after the show, we hopped on a tour bus. We headed to Memphis, um, doing the Bridgestone arena in Nashville was like one of the craziest things. I couldn't believe it. It's just the size of the place. And it's just, really wild and, and, and you know 12,000 people or whatever it was and going out there and and just hearing people laugh at that many people laugh at a thought that you had to warm up the crowd for those guys was was pretty incredible um and, and I thank them for it and uh doing comedy at that size room is definitely a unique feeling and it's definitely a little different than you know, doing a comedy club, uh, but at the same time, it's kind of the same where your shit's got to be funny. doesn't matter if it's three people in a bar or if it's 12,000 rabid Impractical Joker fans. Um, and and f- for those IJ fans listening, you guys are the best in the world. I really appreciate it. I spend a lot of time nerding out on fish stuff the way that you guys go bananas for the Jokers and uh, to be a part of it. Uh, on my side of the stage or my side of the camera is a pretty amazing experience because I'm always the one that's kind of like watching for little subtleties and nuances at concerts. And uh, I know you guys are doing the same. So the guys know it and we all, the whole crew and the whole, you know, team that makes the various shows um, happen are all aware and are all grateful of the love and support that you guys show everyone. So thank you so much. Um, I went to Graceland with uh, Q, 
Brian Quinn from the TV show, and we got to check out some of Elvis's, I don't know, man, Memphis, Tennessee, pretty amazing city. Uh, yeah, of course, I respect Elvis for what he's been to rock and roll, but you know how some things, there are some people that aren't Beatle fans. There are some people, I'm not, not an Elvis fan, but I'm, I'm not, I was never brought up on Elvis. I was brought up on Bob Dylan and The Who and the Stones and the Dead and shit like that. So Elvis is kind of like this one generation earlier than my influencers. So I respect and, you know, um, am, am completely blown away by his level of success and the, the fandom that he generated. And it was really kind of wild to go to Graceland and see how many things that the Presleys kept um, they were, I believe, the original hoarders. Uh, that it just so happened that their son turned out to be super famous. So it was pretty wild to see the collection of of stuff, whether it was uh, Elvis's football helmet or report card or a bottle of soda that he drank out of, or his you know many collection of uh, sheriff's badges. One thing I thought that was wild was any city Elvis played, he would get an honorary sheriff's badge and a blue light in a car, and he would just go pull people over for fun, like as a goof. And he like I just think about being fucking hammered driving <laughs> in the streets of uh, Kansas City. You know, you do your last shot and you get in your Cadillac and you're cruising down the street listening to the zombies or whatever the hell, Beach Boys, and all of a sudden you get pulled over and you're like, ah, shit. You put a piece of beech nut gum in your mouth or whatever they were chewing back then and uh, the fucking king shows up at your window and he's like, you got to slow down, baby. I think that's the wildest shit in the world. I would be like, okay, just bring me right to rehab because clearly I'm tripping balls. I've lost my mind. Elvis Presley's pulling me over. But I guess that's just one of the things he used to do for fun. Um, On display was the TV that he shot a hole in that uh, Annie Leibovitz went and took a picture of. Somebody was on the tube that Elvis didn't like, so he pulled out a gun and blasted a hole in in the TV. And I don't know. It's just such a fucking weird... The people that gave the tour were so nice and so friendly and so inform- like informative, but at the same time, they were also very like pro-Elvis. So there were some things I was wondering about, like the day he died and some of the drug use and all that stuff that fascinates me. And they kind of glazed over it and were like, well, we all have our you know monkeys on our back. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Not, not everybody dies on a toilet, but I... Hey, it was an unbelievable experience, and um, um, I was stoked to hang with, with Q and uh, check the place out. And then we did shows in Memphis, and then we went to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we did shows there, and we went to this weird, beautiful, eclectic, like, oil billionaire's mansion compound that was surrounded by a moat, and he had all this unique, like, suit of arms and original Pablo Picasso paintings and and a little a little like cabin an art studio cabin in the back where there was a bookcase made out of a fireplace made out of books and there the roof was made out of t-shirts and there were all these Edison bulbs hanging everywhere and it had a very artsy haunted kind of feel uh wacky 
place, and it was fun to do during the day with those guys because the Jokers are the Jokers. Um, cameras on and off, so it's it's always neat to see what what shenanigans are going to happen when, when you're hanging out. So, and then we we visited um, an escape room, and that was a good time. And then we did the show, and then we took a long bus trip to uh, Dallas, Texas, where we did our fourth show. And I think that show was outside. And then we did Houston, Texas. And then the next day we headed home. So it was a pretty unbelievable experience doing venues of that size. And um, it's something that I just can't even begin to describe. I think it's something that you maybe kind of separate yourself from. Because, you know, the four guys have the chance to be up there together and having a good time and breaking balls and and I go up there alone, and I get to kind of stand there by myself. And it's a dream come true to to tell jokes to, to that many people. And everybody was very nice. You worry when you're an opening act if people are even going to give a shit. And 15, 12, 10,000 people not giving a shit is a pretty loud not giving a shit. So it was uh, thank you for <laughs> thank you for giving a shit, everybody. Got back home just in time to visit uh, the United Palace Theater, I believe it's called, in Harlem. I got to, this is the part of the podcast, chapter two of this week's podcast, Ghosts of the Forest. Uh, Trey Anastasios, John Fishman, uh, Ray, Tony, Jen, and... God, I really should know the last singer's name because she's fantastic. Um, I'm going to look it up. They were great. I loved it. I went with Tom Marshall, and I went with uh, Tebow, who was another good pal of uh, Tom and Trey's. The guy's fucking awesome. And we we hung out. Uh, We had a really good time. There was a great crew. It was a Friday night. I took um, the night off of stand-up comedy and went to the show and I'm I was very very excited because like everybody else I heard that first um Calice Henderson Celise Henderson is the other singer god she's fantastic the only reason why I don't know her name is cuz I don't think she was in any of the other Trey uh bands and uh it was really fun to see uh what they pulled off and it was early in the tour and from what i've heard is they've gotten way tighter as it's gone on um but the minute a lot of people were like do you go into this uh you know sight unseen do you avoid it all i didn't the minute that it was on live fish i was listening because i wanted to be into it i'm not really good in like sight unseen stuff when it's people that i'm passionate about like if bob weir you know, the Cowboy Song album, if I did get the chance to see him, I wanted to know what I liked and what I didn't. And obviously things are going to change live sometimes, but I I just like to to listen in and I like to hear it. So I listened to the first couple shows, I believe from the Palace Theater in Albany. I love that room. That's a room that I saw Trey in 99 uh, with Russ and Tony when they debuted you know, sand and got a jaboo and first tube. And I ended up getting a chance to perform on that stage 
again, opening up for the Jokers. So I'm always kind of amped to see. I've seen Mo there a couple times. I love that venue. So I was excited to, to listen to the show from there, and I really liked it. And I'm glad I did because I instantly fell in love with a couple of the songs that 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 were were you know going to be a part of this repertoire. And I was interested to know is this something since it's kind of an homage to a, not kind of it is uh, uh, an, an homage to a, a lost friend. Come to find out, um, I wanted to know if it was something that was going to change set because this is probably the first time ever, right? That Trey did us. It's the same set over and over and over again every show. So that was cool to experience. And going into it, I was looking at the set lists like, yeah, this is kind of this is neat. And I think the day before the show I saw the the album, the studio version was released. So uh, it was cool to hear the different songs that were on the album and the songs that were only uh, performed live. Uh, I, I, I. the venue itself was spectacular. Uh, it was way, way, way up on the Upper West Side, um, Northern Harlem. I believe that it is utilized as like a worship service. Uh, you know, there's church services there and shit. Uh, we went and got some pretty dope Mexican food and got pretty hammered before the show. At least I did. And uh, we headed into the, it was a rainy night. Got into the venue, got to say hi to Trey's dad, Ernie Sr., which was a real thrill. He grew up in uh, the Connecticut area just like I did, and we grew up in that New Haven County um, pocket. We talked pizza for a little while. I let him know that my family uh, owned a bakery down there for a bit, and he, he knew of it, which was pretty wild. And I feel like when you get to know something, you know, of course, right away, I kind of went over and... You know, Tom was talking to him, and I sort of columboed my way in. If you don't know what that means, uh, Columbo was a TV show in the 60s, 70s, I don't know, 80s. It's an old show. Columbo was a detective. When I was in sales, there was the sales approach called the Columbo approach, and basically what it was was you sort of, I don't know, goofily stumbled into a place and asked very unique, vague, almost obvious questions, and uh, your 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 inherent stupidity takes people off guard, and they answer questions and give you information that they maybe wouldn't give your normal straight laced, buttoned up detective. So you kind of, you know, Columbo in and go, oh, I don't know. By the way, who owns this place? I thought it was was Dave still own this place, and they're like Dave. No, Rob owned this place. He's owned it forever. And you go, oh, Rob, my fault. Yeah, thanks. And now you know the owner of the place. And then you, two days later, you call that place and go, hey, is Rob there? I want to you know, talk to him about payroll services. And then you make a sale and get commission. Uh, I kind of columboed into the conversation with Tom and Tebow with Trey's dad. And I was like, who's this guy? Is, this, is he responsible for Big Red? And I just kind of did like a dumb, goofy, whatever. Got myself into the conversation. And I was like, hey, you're... Your, your son's pretty talented on the on the guitar. And he's like, yeah, I always told him, you know, no matter what, get a college degree because you never know what's going to happen and this and that. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, it's kind of funny. I know some Anastasios from the New Haven, Connecticut area. And he goes, that's where we're from. That's where I'm, I was born there. And we just had a, a nice, great talk. But the minute that it gets into food or bread or pizza, 
that's when shit gets real. It's so interesting. When I first met Sal Volcano's dad from The Jokers, uh, I got to talking to him about bread. And before Sal even introduced me as, you know, like his friend and, hey, this is my dad, I was already like deep, deep into a conversation with him about Italian bread and how, like, what do you call the ends of the bread? Do you call it a butt? Do you call it an elbow? Do you, you know, everybody's kind of got a different term for the Italian loaf of bread. It's got the, you know, the ends, you rip them off. It's the crust. Some people call it, I grew up calling it the butt, Um, but that's just how the conversation began. And afterwards we give each other a big hug and, you know, enjoy the show and left them alone. And then the show started and no light show. It was looked like they took the, a wall out of, uh, a Lululemon or uh, an, an American Outfitters and put it on the back. I really liked it. It was a very psychedelic looking. It looked like trees made out of ice. It was trippy, thick trunks that went up to the ceiling. And, and it, it was kind of a perfect backdrop for the music because this music was not your, uh, you know, normal tray, you know, let the light shine and, and, uh, the happy stuff. This was deep. It was introspective. It was an adult talking about loss and losing a friend. And, you know, stress hits all of us and anxiety and sadness and moments we can't control hit us all in different ways. And to hear the way that uh, he handles it through music is really cool because I feel like I've kind of grown up with these guys. It's been 25 years of listening to them and seeing him live and and it's it was really awesome to and as a performer myself and as a writer of jokes where hey look in the beginning of writing jokes you're kind of I think I hope I'm only getting started you know uh chipping away at some of these icebergs of content and thought and feeling that I have I've got a lot of things that I really deeply want to talk about on stage and I want to do the topic justice so to see Trey I mean just not that long after making Kaz Vox put together a collection of songs to describe his feelings for his friend that he lost is it, and, and the you know he's he's turned a corner lyrically and vocally. I mean, you listen to some of the notes he hits during some of these tunes, and it's just like, man, he's really putting a ton of effort into singing, and I love that. And uh, I, I think that he's doing Trey's doing a phenomenal job. The band did a great job. There was just such great chemistry. I mean, Fishman's my my man. But you listen to some of the the notes he hits it during Friend, and uh, some of the the little screams he lets out during About to Run. Uh, it, it's really great, and you could feel the feeling that that he's trying to get across, uh, kind of through rhyming away which makes it almost kind of a soulful gospel type vocal where it's got nothing to do with rhyming anymore. It's, these are my feelings. This is how it's coming out. Uh, I would have to say um, that this album in, in, in its entirety, and I don't even know if I mean musically, but uh, conceptually, it reminds me of Neil Young's Tonight's the Night. Uh, that was about Neil's buddy who died. And there were certain moments in it that reminded me of the structure that Neil used for that album. I feel like Trey kind of used in this uh, coming on and get it going off 
stage two, the ghosts of the forest song, uh, that rhythm and, uh, you know, that music where tonight's the night kind of does the same thing. Uh, I, I, I love, I love the song Ghosts of the Forest. I love the song Friend. About to Run is my all-time favorite out of all of it. I think that's very Band of Gypsies, early Neil Young, kind of dirty. You know, he just, I, I don't know. I just picture like a dark, rainy night, and you're at your wit's end, and, and you don't have nowhere else to go. So you just head out. Um, In Long Lines is a great song. Ruby Waves was great. Uh, it, it's just, I really enjoyed, Ruby Waves can be like, a new year's Eve jam vehicle that where the place just goes fucking nuts. And I think that's just Trey's wheelhouse of a song right there. Uh, you can also kind of feel a little bit of the, uh, I don't want to say maybe the early stages of this. Cause if they're going to bring some of these songs into the fish or tab repertoire or ghost, of the force is going to continue to tour. You know, you look at a song like drift while you're sleeping. And I always say this about band on the run. Paul McCartney's Band on the Run. It's like three good songs, three great songs, like kind of cut up into one good song. Admiral Halsey, Uncle Albert is another one by Paul McCartney where it, it just takes such a left turn and at, at points. And it's almost like, oh, I wish you took the first piece and just made that its own song, took the second piece, made that its own song, and made the third piece, you know, I don't know. And, and, and the way that Drift While You're Sleeping in the beginning reminds me of a wingsuit. And then it gets into this kind of weird, punchy, bubbly part that sounds like a jam band, a generic jam band in the middle where it's love, it's love, it'll always be love. And then it kind of gets into this very, like, on a dime, it turns into a gospel, you know, Saturday Night Live ending credit role, celebratory blues anthem Clapton guitar riff thing. And they're all nice. The first two parts of the song I love. Uh, the jam bandy thing, I'm, I'm, that part's kind of, you know, they, it loses me a bit there. But then at the end, it's just it doesn't seem to fit the song. So I hope maybe that this will still evolve and turn into something else it's not that i don't like those parts it's just i like the first part better and i think that song could have gotten off into weirder places but again this is different than anything else that trey or fish has ever written so i'm excited to see where it goes but i think uh long lines uh ruby waves and about to run watch out for those three when you're on tour friends also just I love seeing Trey in small venues. I love theaters. I'm such a nerd for these theaters. And going to King's Theater in Brooklyn, going to the United Palace Theater up there, I mean, you can't beat it. It was really just so fun. Um, Now, from there, chapter three of this pod, of us catching up, because it's been too long, a couple days after that, Tuesday night, I go to Brooklyn Steel, New venue-ish, new, couple years new. I mean, you know, everything that's less than 50 years old in New York is new to me. Um, Fucking Lennon, Claypool Lennon Delirium. Holy shit, I love this. I'm, look, Les is somebody that uh, sometimes I can't understand what he's doing. Um, I, I, I really enjoyed the first thing I saw about Claypool 
Lennon was a YouTube vid- video of them playing at Outside Lands in, I believe, 2016. And uh, it became like a, a background music for me for anything I was doing during the day. I loved, I loved it. I thought that it was a very unique sound and I think that it was look I love Primus some of the stuff less is done like Bucket of Bernie Brains and um, Flying Frog Brigade Um, even some Primus was a little lost on me and it wasn't that I didn't like it it was just that it sometimes less can be a lot and uh, it but when he it's one of the Oysterhead I, I love so much and Claypool Lennon Delirium, absolutely dynamite. This new album, South of Reality, is just unreal. I, I I love it so much. There's a couple songs on it that are just Amethyst Realm is is just a really great tune. It's proggy, it's jammy, but it's not. It's it's Beatles meets old Floyd. Uh it sounds kind of like Saucer full of secrets and revolver. If you put those in the microwave and you know just heat it up for forty minutes, that's uh, what it what it sounds like to me. And to me, that's a pretty fucking great blend. And Sean Lennon is he's I didn't know a ton about his guitar playing. I knew he played, obviously. Um, but I and I knew he sang and I knew he was a musician, but I didn't really ever get too too into him, not for any reason, just because I didn't. And uh, to see him and to experience him and uh, Les plays the bass like a lead guitar, and uh, Sean just fucking slaughters, dude. He he rips. And if you can get a chance to go see uh, Claypool Lennon Delirium. It's a really, really fun time. Uh, Sean Lennon's girlfriend's band opens up the show. Uh, I caught a couple of their tunes. We were, uh, me and a buddy that I work with on the Impractical Joker, shout out Christian. Uh, We were hanging out in Brooklyn, uh, having a beer at a super, super dope hip bar. And uh, we headed over to the show. And we got in, uh, first time at Brooklyn Steel. And I liked the venue a lot. Uh, I think it's got that really cool, it, it reminds me of any uh, perfect warehouse turned into a rock club that you would see on a movie, uh, where it's exposed and it's big, bar out front, uh, totally nondescript from the outside, you would walk right by it and not even know it was a rock club, which uh, I, I kind of like, and then you get in and it's this sort of, you're in, a, you're in another world when you're in there. Uh, the backdrop on the stage was this, um, the, the cover of South of Reality, which is their new album. And it's this like r- space roach uh, walking on icebergs in a planet. And uh, I knew it was going to be a great time. The sound in there fucking rocks. And the songs start to finish were great. They covered uh, the Court of the Crimson King. They played... I would say probably maybe two and a, two hours or so, uh, breaking balls in between, making jokes. Um, you know, less is less. So he's they're they're all dressed like steampunk ship captains. He's got a you know weird hat on and uh, no pig mask. He used to wear a pig mask, which I he freaked me the fuck out a couple times doing that. Um, but 
It was a really amazing show. Here's the part of the show where um, I got a little choked up and I got a little bit uh, every time. Every look, the thing, the reason why I go to concerts is the same reason why I do stand up. The same reason why uh, you know I meditate and I float and I fuck and and I you know all the things that that we do to to get to that point. Um, sometimes when you're at a concert, like a, a certain song will play or a certain the band just goes off on some wild thing and, and it just all gets sonically. It's like no one's trying. You're past the point of thinking you're, you're, you're skiing downhill and your eyes are closed and you know, everything's going to be okay. You don't have to think about tightening your left leg or, or, or shifting your weight to this ski. You're just going and you're in that flow. I think Rogan would probably call it like a flow state. A lot of people refer to it as that. Um, my favorite Beatles song of all time from the first time I heard it in middle school on a tape that I bought is Tomorrow Never Knows. And it's a one chord. It's just them playing a C chord and there's a whole bunch of reversed, you know, track layering on the album. And Ringo is playing this very re- repetitive offbeat kind of rhythm and, uh, it's super trippy and meditative, and I, I, I'm just at the concert the other night having a great time, and they bust into Tomorrow Never Knows. And being able to see John Lennon's son play that song and what it must mean to him and what it meant to me and how, you know, less as, you know, jovial and goofy and whatever – he puts down his bass and he picks up a Paul McCartney, like the Rickenbacker little bass that Paul played and almost kind of takes a step out of the limelight. And Sean Lennon just, I mean, fucking soared and everybody's playing and it. There's a keyboard player and a drummer that are just like laying such a great sonic foundation for this part of the tune, you know, for the tune. And and Sean's singing it with all his heart. He's got his eyes closed, just going for it. And Les is just nodding his head. And you could tell it was just a very special moment for them. And it was an incredibly fucking special moment because I, I just love that song. And I never would have expected them to play it, even though a, a little while earlier, uh, about a week or so earlier, they played it with Getty Lee. For some reason, I had just forgotten. So when they played it, it was a really cool there are moments at concerts where it's just you and the band. Even though you're in a room full of 5,000, 5, 50,000 people, every now and then it's just you and the band. And uh, that was one of those moments for me. And uh, I really thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, it, it was just a, a real blast. So um, the concert went on. It was a great time. Um, me and my buddy got to know we knew a couple people that worked there, so we watched half the show from backstage, and we were hanging out afterwards uh, towards the bar area, and this is where I, I realized, you know, and I, it's chapter three and a half of, of this week's pod. I, I, can't, I, I can't smoke pot and talk to people anymore. Um, I don't know what it is. I, I don't have any problem when I'm not smoking, uh, if I have a couple beers, I'm good. Um, I was hitting my pen. I've got a fun, like two to one or three to one, uh, 
sour diesel CBD hybrid pen that I picked up in Fort Collins a couple a year or so ago, and I uh, it's my favorite concert like tugging pen. I hit, hit off of it whenever I can, and I had it with me. And when you're at a concert and you got a couple beers in you and you're kind of like, you know, just pulling on it like way more than you have to. And uh, I was pretty fucking stoned. And as the music got, you know, quieter and the night started to get, you know, uh, a little bit less sonic and loud, um, you know, your ears start ringing and, and, and your whole head is right behind the back of your face. And we're hanging out backstage and I grab another beer and uh, I'm sitting there bullshitting with my buddy and... Claypool and Sean Lennon come out and we're hanging around and Les is standing right next to me talking to some people and I'm, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'm never anybody to get starstruck. I really don't fucking care. We're all the same. And I've, you know, had the chance to work with, you know, stand up comics who are, you know, I've met Dave Chappelle countless times and, you know, every, you name it, everybody, Chris Rock, all these people, they're just normal. Everyone's normal, you know, fucking less, man. I don't know whether it was the weed or that it's, weird clay pool but it took me way off guard and I shook his hand and he goes whoa you got a warm hand and I was like what the fuck like he just totally threw me like a psychological you know uppercut and I was like uh great show man you're you guys are great I really uh you know do you remember when you were an oyster head like that was awesome like I turned into fucking dumb Farley um he was pretty cool a little weird uh Talked to Sean Lennon for a little while. He was great. I said it was so cool to hear you play Tomorrow Never Knows. And we started talking stand-up comedy. And we took a picture. And he, he was uh, really cool to talk to. And then out of the corner of my eye, I noticed Matt Stone from South Park's hanging out. And I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me. So as stoned as I am, I walk over and I uh, grab him by the arm. And I'm like, hey, dude, your cartoons, I mean, your show... Uh, you know, just that you guys have always been like an inspiration in college. I would, you know, eat, eat mushrooms and watch your watch the underpants gnomes like changed my life. Like, how did how did you even think of that? And I'm just like going a mile a minute. And it's one of those moments where you're kind of like, yeah, you sound like a fucking tool right now. You dope. Like, shut your mouth. And he was being cool. Luckily, there were other people around. And I, I mean, I, I, I would never be one to, like, go over and make a complete knob out of myself. But And I'm sure everything was fine. But when you're stoned and you're in your own head, you sound like a dipshit. It makes it triple dipshitty when you're thinking about it after the fact. So that was a little weird. And uh, <laughs> I he, he was totally cool. And he was like, oh, you do stand-up? Like, I, I'd love to come check out your stuff, this and that. And we talked about cartoons and we talked about New York and Colorado and all these fun things. So he was a really, really nice guy and it was super cool uh, to meet him. And uh, I shut my mouth and walked out before I made a bigger fool out of myself. But it's nice to know not to talk to anybody anymore uh, when I'm stoned. I don't know how you fucking people do it. I used to be able to do it no problem, but I don't know. It's just goddamn vape shit. I, I don't know. I don't know. I could talk to anybody in the world on beers, but you give me two whacks of these fucking pens and I'm a I'm a fucking marble mouth. All right. Chapter four. And then I got to go catch my flight to Denver again. Mikefanoia.com for dates. I'm going to be doing a lot of fun shows in Denver this week. And then uh, May 11th, Saturday at six, I'll be headlining uh, comedy connect or er, Jesus comedy seller, fat black pussycat. Um. I'm going out and doing comedy works in uh, Denver. 
And this past weekend, I headlined four sold-out shows at the DC Improv. Thank you so much to everybody who came out. And shout-out to Antoine and Allison and everybody. Chris, everyone over at DC Improv, you guys are amazing. Um, Two quick things that I want to talk about with that, and then uh, we'll wrap up. I... I'm doing my set, the last show on Saturday night, and in the room I'm in, in the lounge, pitch black room, in the back, there's a light over the entryway to the bathrooms. So when you're on stage, all you see are the stage lights hitting your eyes, and then the a, a crowd, a dark crowd of heads, you can't see any faces, and then the light to go into the bathroom. And there's this weird, like, there's a guy standing there, and he's got a kind of like a like a one of those Boston Scully caps but like a little big and I didn't know whether or not he was someone who like walked out of his seat and was waiting back there for the show to end to sit back down or what but um he was just standing in the doorway and I'm very conversational with the crowd if you haven't seen me I I love to do crowd work and I try to incorporate it as much as possible but there's this guy standing there and I'm like what the fuck is that you know and I almost was like buddy you can come back and sit and I'm glad I didn't because I started to notice like some of the um, staff filing into the room. So now like, you know, with 10, 15 minutes left in my set, like half the staff and this guy is just standing there. And I say, thank you very much, everyone. I appreciate it. And I wrap up. Had a good set. Nothing special, but, you know, could have been worse. And um, it's fucking Rob Schneider from Saturday Night Live and from, you know, the million Adam Sandler movies he's been in and touring with them and. And my pal Chris Clark from Connecticut, very funny comic. Look him up. He does a, a, a snacks show on YouTube. Um, he's a very funny dude and a great guy. He's with him. And Rob walks over and he goes, hey, great set. And then the host goes up and goes, hey, by the way, oh, by the way, it's Brian Parisi and Courtney Farrington were the two comics that worked with me. They're great. Look them up if you could. They're awesome comics. Um, host goes up and brings up Rob Schneider. And Rob goes up after me, surprises the crowd and does a you know guest set. Uh, about 15, 20 minutes. And then afterwards he was like, Hey, you got really funny stuff. And, you know, let's go back in the green room and hang out. And we went and hung out back there and we bullshitted a bunch and talked comedy and talked life and travel and, you know, meditation and all cool shit. So what a nice treat to end the weekend. So, uh, Rob Schneider, I know you're a big fan of my podcast, so thank you very much. And, uh, it was cool to meet you and I hope to see you again, uh, somewhere down the road. Um, now, a lot of people, I've actually gotten emails uh, to the email address for Amigos. It's amigospod at gmail.com about, like, people talk about, they've heard comics talk about, like, the best clubs in the country and all that. And there's a bunch. But comedy works in Denver and D.C. Improv are always, 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 always on that list at the top. And people have said, what makes a comedy club the best? And, you know, it's it's a couple of simple things. And then there's just a few like intangibles that you just can't teach. And I and I don't know why it's so hard for some clubs to figure it out. But the things I can say are, you know, obviously the nuts and bolts of a comedy club. You want a microphone that sounds good. You want seating that works and, and lighting that, that, you know, accentuates the room, but it isn't too bright. It's not too dark. You've got hosts and features and, um, support that is, 
you know, solid, good people. The staff is a great hang. Um, there are certain, you know, you got a nice green room. You've got, I mean, everything's just perfect. Um, those, these two rooms, I'm so fucking thrilled that I'm back to back weekends, DC improv comedy works. And then I get to come home and perform at the cellar, my home club. It's just like every now and then it hits you. Like this is really fucking incredible that I'm getting the opportunity to do this in life because all three of these rooms are the best. And it's just something with, from management to staff to, you know, sound engineers to, uh, I mean, the cooks, it just, it, there's, there's a, a family vibe. And when you go on the road and you visit a club once a year, once every year and a half, and you're welcomed back like you're an old family member that you haven't seen in a long time, it makes a difference. We're sitting in a hotel room away from home alone most of the time. And when you walk into that club and you get cold shoulders and blank stares from, you know, whoever the the servers are this time around and they're probably going to be turned over uh, next time you're there, you don't get a good, nice, warm and fuzzy from from the room. But when you walk into DC Improv and when you walk into Comedy Works and when you walk into the cellar, it's it's home and it somehow always gets better every time. And they watch your sets and making them laugh is just as important, if not more important, than making the crowd laugh because the crowd's not coming every week. The crowd's not there night after night after night after night, but the staff is. And when you have a chance to really make them crack, then it feels good. And you get off stage and you can pick up the conversation where it was left off before you went on stage or from last night or from last year. And it's just something special about the way that these clubs run their rooms. So I just can't thank enough, um, you know, the, the Comedy Works in Denver, DC Improv, Comedy Cellar, and there's a, there's a bunch other that are just, you know, I, I personally love. And, and when, when I get to those rooms, when I'm traveling, I will discuss them and, uh, and, and tell you why I love them too. But to be back-to-back weekends, DC Improv and Comedy Works, uh, in Denver is great. And then the seller as, you know, home, home base. I'm a pretty lucky guy and I don't take that for, uh, for granted. So, um, if you're in, uh, Denver listening, come check out a show this weekend. Um, all right, to wrap it up, cause I got to get ready to catch a flight. I've been listening to, uh, other than Ty Siegel, I've been listening to the audio book of Miles Davis's, uh, autobiography and I love it. I, I'm, I'm having, I'm captivated by this story and I'm saddened by the story. And I'm also intrigued by the similarities between the beginnings of stand up comedy. Uh, when you're starting out in the beginnings of jazz, um, you know, Miles Davis getting $50 to play a show with Charlie Parker and sometimes not getting paid and having to, you know, uh, pawn trumpets to get a suit and, all these stories and the the it's so sad how how big of a part of the story drugs were i mean like not i'm talking like heroin like they're big big heroin influence and and i'm not that that's any news but to hear it in his story it's like holy shit um and i love audiobooks especially when i travel and i fly it's really great to listen to a an audiobook because it'll uh 
it sometimes you know listening to an album or a live show is great but it doesn't get you through the whole flight and then you realize you've got more flying to do and it makes well makes me anxious so i like an audiobook and i highly highly recommend the miles davis autobiography um the gentleman who reads it sounds just like miles very cracky raspy um you know burnt out throaty voice uh and he does a a really excellent job of telling the story uh it is read by don graham and uh i think you guys should uh check it out if you're looking for a new audiobook and um just the struggles of having to you know charlie parker was miles davis's hero but he also couldn't stand him as a person because he was so fucked up on drugs and he would show up he wouldn't show up he would but he was so good that when he did show up nobody could say anything to him because he was he was bird he was the best and it's really uh, uh, a story that you can uh, really dive into and 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 enjoy so this was fun this was therapy that I needed before I get on the flight I I really uh, been working on a bunch of cool shit. I hope that you guys will get a chance to enjoy it very soon. Um, but stick with me on uh, in social media and Instagram at Mike Fenoya at Amigos Pod, um, MikeFenoya.com. As always, for dates, check out everything on Osiris. The, the team is doing some pretty unbelievable shit. And uh, I'm very proud to be a part of the network. And uh, follow the drop, uh, which is a weekly news and podcast podcast. Uh, program put on by the guys thanks to tom for a fun uh trip to ghost of the forest and uh yeah i thought it was a pretty wild week so i wanted to share it with you thank you guys so much and i'll be recording a couple dope episodes out in uh, denver with some special guests and i will be bringing them to you soon so take care and we'll see you on the flip peace adios amigos